You're listening to a sermon from Redemption Church, Calgary North. We exist to see lost people saved, saved people matured, and mature people multiplied, all to the glory of God. For more information, visit redemptioncalgarynorth.com. Hey, Redemption. Uh, I pray that your heart has been encouraged uh, by the time of worship this morning and uh, that your heart has been encouraged as you sung praises to the Lord and as you've heard the scripture read this morning, that your, your hearts and minds are fully directed on him who is our hope. And uh, it's so good to be able to uh, do this together, and, uh, even in the midst of these times, to, to just be still and know that he is God. The passage that Matt just read uh, talks about the discipline of the Lord God towards those whom he loves. He's a loving father, so he does what his kids need, even when his kids don't understand. Children don't often understand why their parents are disciplining them, especially at the moment of the discipline. All they feel is the pain of the discipline, and different kids react to the discipline in different ways. Some kids, they simply cry. They're, they're devastated that you've brought this discipline on them and they don't understand and they, they question whether or not you love them even because of what you've done. Then there are the kids who get angry when you bring discipline and uh, not just angry about the situation, they get angry at you. How dare you do this to me? Um, do, do, you, uh, do you even care about me? is what they, th- what they think at the moment. And so they kind of shake their fists at you and, and, they, and they really doubt whether you are for them. Well, the reality is that as adults, we still react in the same way to discipline. And the Bible reminds us that the Lord, as we've already read, the Lord disciplines those whom he loves. And when the discipline comes, sometimes we're tempted to question whether or not God loves us. How can what we're going through be love? Or we get angry at God. God, how can, this be in my, how can this be in my life if you are caring? Why me, God? I believe that you are powerful and you can do anything. So why am I going through what I'm going through? How can you really care for me if this is what I have to go through? And if we're being honest, This pandemic, you maybe have asked some of those same questions about God. God, if you're really all-powerful, and I believe that you are, then why don't you just end this right now? Wouldn't that be best for everyone involved? Lord, don't you love us? Don't you care? Well, this morning's text is going to remind us that God does love us, and he does care. And the problem is not with him. The problem is with us. And that we don't sometimes always understand what God is doing. Just like the three-year-old who's being disciplined. So this morning's text is going to be a reminder of what God desires of us as we go through times of difficulty. Times where we're wrestling with what is happening. I've entitled it, Sovereignty in the Sorrow. But before we get into the text, let me pray for us one more time and then we'll study together. Lord God, Thank you that we can look at your word together this morning. Lord, thank you that um, you are a God who is so patient with us. Thank you that you are a 
good father. Thank you that you do what's best for us, even when we don't understand. And Lord, this morning we come to you maybe in confusion, Lord, we come to you maybe in frustration, but Lord, we come to you, and that's the best place to start. Lord, to, to come before your throne, to, to see you, Lord, in your fullness and in, in all that you, um, in all your glory, God. And God, this morning, we, we pray that we would have a bigger picture of who you are, a better picture of who you, who you are, and that, Lord, we would walk in a way that would bring honor and glory to you each and every day. God, I thank you that um, your word, although written so long ago, is so relevant to what we're facing today. And while the world may continually be changing around us, your word never changes. And so, God, we have hope today. And so, God, we pray as we study your text, as we study this word, God, would you lead us? Would you guide us? Would you help us, Lord, to be conformed to your image through these words? so that, Lord, we might bring you glory, that we might bring you honor. And it's your name we pray. Amen. Well, this morning we're going to look at the last part of the book of Ruth, or sorry, the cha- first chapter of Ruth. And so if you don't have a Bible with you this morning, I just encourage you to uh, download one or find one around the house. But we want everyone to have the, a copy of God's Word with them as we look at it together. Uh, again, just right after the book of Judges, right before First and Second Samuel, you'll find the book of Ruth, just four short chapters, but um, so relevant for us today. If you're f- just joining us for the first time today, um, just a quick review of where we've been. First five t- uh, verses of, the, of um, chapter one, not great. Now, as we read verse one, we see that this uh, is happening in the time of Judges and there's a famine in the land. So what that tells us is that um, the people are walking in rebellion against God and God has brought a famine to them. And so what Elimelech does, and he takes, instead of staying there and repenting and leading others to repent, he leaves and he goes to another land, hoping to avoid the consequences of the sin of the land. But instead, what happens is him and his two sons all die. Last week, as we looked at verses 6 through 18, we've seen that God began to change the story. And after those 10 years of them being in Moab, God begins to, to, to show that there's going to be um, hope in this story. And so what happens is Naomi hears that God has visited the land in verse 6 and that, um, that there's food now there. So she and, and the two daughters-in-law begin to go home. And on the way, she decides that it's best if, Na- if Ruth and Orpah don't stay with her. And so she encourages them to go back to their people, back to their land, and get married there. And um, that's, that's what's best for them. That's what she believes. And so she c- eventually convinces Orpah to do it, but she can't convince Ruth. Ruth is resolved to stay with her, to go back, back home to Bethlehem. And so that's where we're going to pick it up in verse 16, just so we see the context here. But Ruth said, do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. 
Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord do so to me, and more also if anything but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more. Now the verses that we're going to be studying today. So the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the woman said, is this Naomi? And she said to them, do not call me Naomi. Call me Mara. For the, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? And when the Lord has, when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me. So Naomi returned and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law with her, who returned from the country of Moab. And they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. So as we look at the last four verses uh, this week, we're going to see that what the Lord, the sovereign Lord calls us to do in the sorrow. What four things that the sovereign Lord calls us to do in the sorrow. And the first thing that we see is in, in the sorrow, the sovereign Lord calls us to come home. We see this in verse, verse 19. So the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. So we're, we're seeing the, the journey. They're coming back home. Now, would have been about a seven to 10 day journey, would have been about 60 to 75 miles to go from where they were living in Moab to get back to Bethlehem. It would have been a dangerous journey for two women to, do, uh, to, to, to go on by themselves. But we see here that they get home safely. As I was studying the text, I was thinking, what, what did they talk about over that seven to 10 days? You know, Ruth has said, hey, I'm coming with you. I, I don't care what happens to me. I'm going to, I'm going to be with you until, until we both die. So what did, what did Naomi talk to her about? Did she tell her about what life was going to be like in Bethlehem? Did she, did she prepare for any of these things? We don't know. We don't know what the conversation was, but we are told that they get there. And when they get there, the whole town is stirred because of them. This word for stirred, it's, it's also used in 1 Samuel 4.5 and 1 Kings 1.45. And in both cases, they refer, refer to a, an excited noise that happens. In the first case, in 1 Samuel 4.5, the Ark of the Covenant is coming home and, and there's a, like this excitement at that. And then in 1 Kings 1.45, it's when Solomon is being coronated. And so there's this idea of excitement and so these ladies are excited that Naomi is coming home. They obviously recognize that it is Naomi. Even though it's been 10 years, they're excited that this woman is coming home. And so obviously she was someone that, that everyone knew when they left. And, um, you know, it was a small town, but now it's been 10 years later. And there's still this, this kind of excitement. And so it get, tells us a little bit about this family that was someone who was well known. But... What they say at the end of this verse is, is this Naomi? Now, this is one of those times it would be really helpful to hear the inflection on what they're saying. Like, you know, are they, is this Naomi? Like, are they excited about her? Is this like, is this Naomi? Like, is there, like, what's going on in the way they say it? If, if they're saying it with some, some kind of excitement, they might be like, wow, well, like, she's been gone for 10 years. I can't believe she's here. And they're, they're really excited about that. Or it could be like, is this Naomi? 
and, 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 you know, there's excitement in, in seeing her, but now like, who's this woman with her? Is that a, is that a Moabite? And hey, where's her husband and her sons? And, and man, like she doesn't look the same way as she did when she left. And, and, uh, and that's likely true. I mean, the stress of what she's been through over the last 10 years, she probably looks a whole lot different than when she, when she first, or when they first left. And when you think about a president, right? Have you ever seen any kind of those, those images when a president starts and then when they're done their time, especially if they've done two terms, eight years later, like they look way older. Why? Because of the stress of life. And, um, and of course, Naomi, she has been under incredible stress during this time. And so Block, he suggests this woman who had left Bethlehem as Naomi, the pleasant one, a robust woman in her prime has returned as a haggard and destitute old woman. But she's home. She's home. She, she's where she should have been all along. The Lord God in his grace has brought her back to the promised land. And this is something we need to note. In God's sovereignty, he's being so gracious and loving to her here. He, he's bringing her back to the place of his blessing. The place where he's promised that his presence would be there. But she's home. And she's home. There is no better place to be than in the place of God's blessing. A place where God promises to be with you. For you and I, as, as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, that began the day that you and I were reconciled to God. At one time, we were enemies of God. We were walking in rebellion against him. But then God reconciled us to him through Jesus Christ. Well, we came to recognize our sin against him and we, we confessed our sin and we asked him for forgiveness. We recognized on that day that the wrath that we were due for our sin against him, our rebellion against him, God had placed the wrath on Jesus instead for us and that through Christ we could be forgiven and no longer be enemies, but now be part of the family of God. It was an incredible moment that day. And I pray that everyone who's watching this can, can think about that moment when you were reconciled to him, to when you finally came into the house of God. That's where blessing is. There is no better place than to be in a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, to, to, to know his steadfast love, to know his faithfulness. But as we go through life, Sometimes we're tempted to stray. We're, we can be like the prodigal son where we, we just get off a little bit, a little bit, a little bit, and we, we get into a place where we can no longer be in the place of God's blessing. God can't bless us because we're walking around in our pride. And the Bible tells us that God is opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And so this morning, I, I want you to even just think about, are you home with God right now? Are you in a place where he can bless you, where he can come and, and support you and encourage you? Or are you walking in rebellion against him? Maybe you've always been a rebel against him. You've never come in faith to the Lord Jesus Christ. Can I tell you right now that God would forgive you if you would come in repentance to him? Maybe this morning the sovereign Lord is calling you to come home for the first time for you to be reconciled to him. Or you may be someone you, who've just, you've gone astray 
and you're not living for the Lord the way you ought to be. You're not living under the house rules of God. And as a result, he's walking opposed to you. But he's saying this morning, come home. Come home. Find forgiveness. Find that he is a God who is loving and merciful and gracious. And he will forgive you. So come home. That's a great place to start. The second thing that we see is in the sorrow, the sovereign Lord calls us to come and lament. To come and lament. We see this in verses 20 and 21. So the ladies have just said, is this Naomi? This is her response. Do not call me Naomi. Call me Mara. Now, if you've been with us for the last couple of weeks, you remember her name means pleasant. Naomi means pleasant. But she's saying, don't call me pleasant anymore. Call me Mara. Call me bitter. Why? For the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. We see here she's referring to God as the Almighty. She's going to use this tw- title twice in these two verses. Uh, to, it's, it's, a, it's a title that Job used 31 times in the book of Job. It's emphasizing God's great power. God is not someone who can be resisted. This is what she's saying here. Uh, Reed says this, The disaster he sent could not be averted. Naomi had such faith in God in his personal involvement in her life that she knew the bitter things she experienced were from him. That's an accurate statement. In times of great trial in my own life, I've had people try to tell me that they knew that God did not want what happened to happen. Well, if that's the case, then God is not almighty. But God is almighty. And when things come into our life where we are, we're, 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 we're trying to understand what has happened, we do need to recognize this. God is almighty and he has allowed the things that have happened in your life. Naomi is explaining that when the almighty decided that there would be bitterness come into her life, there was no way to avoid it. She had left Bethlehem with a husband and two sons and likely some possessions, but now she's coming home with nothing. She says this, I went away full and the Lord has brought me back empty. She now refers to God by the name that the Israelites used, Yahweh. This was the name that God gave to Moses when Moses asked God who he should tell the people, who he should tell the people who sent him. The country she had been living in had their own gods. But Naomi recognized that it was her God, Yahweh, who was over all and that it was under his power that had caused her to leave full and return empty. In the Hebrew, the words fullness and empty are emphasized for effects and to highlight her loss. She had left full, but Yahweh brought her home empty. Wiersbe says this, She had left Bethlehem with a husband and two sons and had come home without them. She had gone to Moab possessing the necessities of life, but now she had returned having nothing. She was a woman with empty hands, an empty home, and an empty heart. I was thinking as she came home, it must have been very emotional for her. All the memories flooding back about the way things once were. That maybe the streets that her family used to walk together, the place her husband once worked, the, the, the place where her sons had been born and used to play. All these memories flooding back. 
She continues, why call me Naomi? Why call me pleasant when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? She continues her complaint against God. First, Yahweh has testified against her. What does that mean? Job had used similar wording. The idea is that both here here with Naomi and in the case of Job, they, they have entered into a courtroom and that God has testified against them and has found them guilty. This is what Naomi is saying. God has testified against me and has found me guilty. And they feel, both Job and her, they're not getting what they deserve. Why did God do this? Why is he seen that I've been guilty? He's testified against me and as a result, the verdict is that I should receive this calamity. Naomi is confused and she is bitter that God has done this to her. In her her complaint of Yahweh declaring her guilty, the Almighty has brought a sentence of calamity upon her. She is wrestling with the whys of it all. She feels bitter. She wishes things were different but they're not. The women who had asked this question, is this Naomi, got more of an answer than they thought they were going to get. As I thought about Naomi on that day, I wondered if her words may have also come to a culmination that day because she was finally home. To be home would, of course, as I've already mentioned, brought all these painful memories back to her about how much she had lost. But also for the first time, she's back with her people who know her God. They don't, she doesn't have to explain to them who Yahweh is like she would have had to do back in Moab. She's back home. And so there's this idea where she's just, I'm just wondering if this is why she's just kind of letting her hair down and she's just kind of giving voice to her complaint to people who she doesn't have to explain who Yahweh is and people are going to understand who God is. So what do we do with this? With these two verses? Well, let's first note that what Naomi has said is theologically accurate. What she said is theologically accurate. Look what she says about God. God is real. God is powerful. God is sovereign. And God is judge. That's all accurate. That's all true. So what do we do in these kinds of times? Well, if we're being honest, our first reaction when we look at these two verses, we think, this wasn't okay. Naomi shouldn't have said what she said. Our, our t- typical response when we're trying to help people with, who are going through great trials is to uh, quote Romans 8.28 that everything's going to be okay and then just try to ignore the problems that they're actually facing. Or we try to convince people that God really wasn't involved with ha- what happened and that somehow evil won that day, but God will be there now. Or... We just try and avoid these people altogether because we don't know what to say. And we hope that maybe in a few months they'll, you know, they'll be better and we can just not have to deal with the things that they went through. Or if you're the one going through the calamity, there's the temptation to try and numb the pain somehow and forget your reality. But all of these ways fall short of the biblical way. 
Uh, This text is a great reminder that it is okay to come to the Lord and to voice your complaint, to, to come to him with your sorrows, with your trials and say, God, I'm really having a difficult time right now. This is what we see Naomi doing and this is what we see other people doing in the Bible. Can I just give you some examples? Look at Moses. I encourage you to just write these verses down and look him up for yourself later. But Moses in Exodus 5, 22 and 23, he says this. Moses, then Moses turned to the Lord and said, O Lord, why have you done evil to this people? Why did you ever send me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people and you have not delivered your people at all. He's giving voice to his complaint to what he's going through right now. Look at Elijah in 1 Kings 17, 20. Elijah cried to the Lord, O Lord, my God, have you brought calamity even upon the widow with whom I sojourned by killing her son? He's questioning God. Job, Job 16, 9. He has torn me in his wrath and hated me. He's speaking about God here. He has torn me in his wrath and hated me. He has gnashed his teeth at me. My adversary sharpens his teeth against me. God, why are you against me? And then there's David in Psalm 13, 1 and 2. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? We see that that God is okay with his people coming and crying out to him. In fact, he invites that. I've been thinking about maybe a lament to capture what we've been thinking, what we've been going through lately. Maybe it would be something like this. How long, O Lord, will you allow the coronavirus to keep us separate from one another? How long until we will be able to worship together in the way that you've ordained? We ought to give voice to these, these things that we're already thinking, that we're already going through. You, you, you can't pretend that you're not thinking these things. You can't pretend that what we're going through isn't real. You, uh, but when you're wrestling with these things, what you ought to do is bring them to the Lord. There's a, an author by the name of Mark Vergop who wrote the book, Dark Clouds, Deep Mercy. And he said this, to weep is to be human, but to lament is to be Christian. God doesn't expect us to play make-believe and pretend that there isn't pain and suffering happening. He doesn't expect us to squash longings if those longings are good and right. He wants us to come to him. He wants to express our concerns to him. In fact, one-third of the Psalms are lament Psalms. We have an entire book in the Bible called Lamentations where Jeremiah is pouring out his heart to the Lord and expressing his great sorrow and pain of what he's seen. Can I encourage you, even now, as you go through in these uncertain times, to make part of your time to bring your wrestlings to God? God wants you to do so. Bring your burdens to him and cry out to him. Give voice to those things. He's okay with that. Now, maybe just one last thought before we get to that. There is a difference between godless complaining 
and godly lament. Godless complaining, there's a lot of examples of that of the Israelites while they're in the wilderness. They're continually complaining to God. doesn't matter what God has just done. They're finding another thing to complain about. And as time went on, they showed they didn't trust God. They never did trust God. But godly lament is us coming in trust to God and giving voice in a humble way to our great God saying, God, I don't understand. I don't, I don't get these things, but I know that you do. So I'm bringing them to you. And so that's what godly lament is. But godly lament doesn't stop there. That brings us to our next point. Come and see. Come and see. In the sorrow, the sovereign Lord calls us to come and see. Now, as I mentioned last week, when it comes to narrative in the Bible, we're simply told the reality of what happened. Most times we're not told what should have happened. But thankfully, we have the rest of the Bible to help us in that regard. As we've already seen, Naomi is not the first person in the Bible to experience heartbreak. She's not the first person to cry out and bring complaint about the circumstances that she was facing. But in her coming to God, she stops short of what should have happened. And so I want us to just take a moment to look at some other examples of lament to see what should have happened. For example, Psalm 13, we've already read David's crying out to God and giving voice to his complaint in verses one and two, but then we see him coming now to bring requests to God in verses three and four. He says this, consider an answer, O Lord, my God, light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death, lest my enemies say I have prevailed over him, lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. He's come and he's cried out to God. And now he's saying, God, would you intervene? Would you change the situation that I'm facing? He's not just recognizing that he's almighty, but he's also recognizing that this God has the ability to change the situation that he's in. In Psalm 79, again, at the beginning of the psalm, we see the, uh, the author Asaph. He's just crying out to God and bringing complaint about the things that he's doing with, that are going on. But then in verses 8 and 9 of Psalm 79, he says this, Do not remember against, against us our former iniquities. Let your compassion come speedily to meet us, for we are brought very low. Hear us, O God, of our salvation. For the glory of your name, deliver us and atone for our sins for your name's sake. I love how the emphasis of Asaph. He's saying, God, I recognize that many of the things that, that have happened are probably as a result of our sin. But God, I'm asking, would you forgive us? Would you, would you um, forgive us of our sins and now restore us in a place where we, where we ought, today, ought to be for your glory and for your honor? See, godly lament isn't just about bringing your complaint, isn't just about crying out. Godly lament is about also you coming and you asking God, for change. And this is what we ought to be doing. Even again in this hour, we, we ought to be coming to God and, 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 and believing and remembering that our hope is in him. Psalm 42, another great psalm to be thinking about at this time. And twice in Psalm 42, we see this phrase, why are you cast down O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God. For I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. 
you see this wrestling that David had. He's like, oh, you know, life is so hard and I'm so in despair right now. And then he just gives this self-counsel. Why are you cast down on my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Our hope is in him. It always has been this ca- the case. It is right now and it always will be. Our hope is in God. And so as we bring our crying to him, as we bring our complaint to him, we also know that he is able to change what we're facing. And so we put our hope in him. Maybe to go back to this lament that we maybe we could, we could uh, use at this time. How long, O oh Lord, Will you allow the coronavirus to keep us separate from one another? How long until we'll be able to worship together in the way that you have ordained? God, we believe that your church is best strengthened as your people gather together. Would you make a way that we can do that soon? God, for the sake of your name and your glory, would you deliver us from this pandemic? Lord, would you enlarge your church as the hope of the gospel penetrates these dark days? These are the kinds of prayers that we can bring to him in hope, knowing that our hope is in him. Godly lament stays focused on where our lament lies. In the midst midst of this, this five chapters of pouring out his heart, Jeremiah says in Lamentations 3, 21 to 26, but this I call to mind and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. And I include this, this portion of scripture again, just to remind us that when we come to the Lord, let's not limit what we see about him. This was Naomi's problem. Naomi, what she seen was right, but she didn't see the full picture. She's seen that God was powerful. She's seen that God was sovereign, that he was the judge. But what she also needed to see is what Jeremiah seen. That God is steadfast in his love, that he is merciful, that his faithfulness is great, that he's always with us and that he's good. A lot of people believe that God is powerful, but this morning, do you believe that he's also good? This brings us to our last point. In the sorrow, the sovereign Lord calls us to come with expectation. Verse 22 So Naomi returned and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law with her, who returned from the country of Moab. And they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. If we don't come and see the Lord for who he, fully for who he is, often this, this will lead us into continual bitterness. We may be stuck in the complaining and the grumbling. And in, the, in this, in proce- and in this process, we'll remain blind to what God is doing. Uh, this is where Naomi's at right now. She, she's so caught up in her complaint against God and in the bitterness of what she's experienced, she's failing to see what God is doing. 
blindness, or sorry, bitterness leads to blindness. Others may see the reason to have hope, but this person is fixated on their problems and their bitterness becomes blind and they become blind to hope. Winston Churchill is quoted as saying, if you're going through hell, keep going. But some people choose not to. They become fixated on their problems and they remain in bitterness and anger and complaint. Do you know people like that? Have you been like that? It's not, not fun to be around those kind of people, right? They're like Debbie Downer, or in this case, Bitter Betty. And, they sat, and sadly, they cling to their bitterness rather than clinging to the Lord. Naomi has given voice to her complaint before God. And right now, she's blind to what God is doing. She's not recognized the grace of God in bringing her home. This is why I believe the narrator puts this verse here. While Naomi is telling everyone around her to now call her bitter, God is at work. The fact that Naomi is back at home is evidence of his grace and his love for her. Naomi has just said that she has come home with nothing. But that actually isn't true, is it? Ruth the Moabite is also with her, as we're reminded in this verse. What a great intro to Bethlehem for Ruth, right? (laughs) There were no introductions from her mother-in-law. She's acting like she's not even there. But this woman, Ruth, who is already showing great faith, is about to become the central character for the rest of this book. God is doing a work that nobody would have expected, and it is amazing. This Gentile woman is going to become a part of the family tree of the Messiah. By the time that this book is over, the women in town are going to say to Naomi that Ruth is more worth to her than seven sons. Naomi will become a grandma, something at this point she could have never dreamed of. Ruth has now come to the land that will become her permanent home and she will, tr- will truly become a part of the people of God and Yahweh is the God whom, whom she will worship. God is at work. And the verse ends by telling us that it was the time for the barley harvest. We will see how significant this harvest will be in the verses to come. However, it's also a reminder that God is at work. Do you remember how the chapter began? There was a famine. But now there's food. The harvest has come. God has been faithful to his people as he always is. God is at work. Do you know that today? How do we remember that God is at work? One of the things that we ought to do is we ought to look back. In this case, if we look back, we remember that God was opposed to the people of Bethlehem because of their rebellion against him. But now we see him providing food for his people. Naomi had been a foreigner in another land, and now she's back home amongst old friends and relatives. God was at work. When we consider our own lives, it is also helpful to look back and see what God has done. First and foremost, as a believer, we ought to always cherish the day when we, bec- we went from being an enemy of God to being a part of the family of God. We were lost, but now we're found. We were dead men walking, but now we have life. And then consider all the times that God has been faithful 
since that time. How he has answered your prayers over and over and over again. Do you recall those times? Do you think on those times? We ought to, to remember that God is always at work. And then we also need to consider the present situation that we find ourselves in. God desires that his people lament, but he also desires that we be thankful people. Even in the darkest hours, there are reasons to be thankful. If Naomi was just looking around, she should have been humbled by the fact that God was being very gracious to her. There was this incredible daughter-in-law with her as she came home. This woman had left everything for her so that she could help her. And God had brought her home to the place that she had grown up. There was lots to be, lots to be thankful for, even as she looked around at the crops to remember that God had visited his people. Today, you and I have many reasons to give thanks. Yes, this pandemic has been difficult in so many different ways, but consider all the many blessings. This pandemic has not been like the Spanish flu, for example, where 25 million people died in 25 weeks. Can you imagine the, the, just the horror and the loss of that? Praise God that the death toll has been much lower than they would have thought. You and I have food to eat. We have clean water to drink. We have a place to sleep. We have people in our lives who love us. There's people to miss. There's people that we want to get back together with again. The, all those are so many blessings that you and I have. We have not been totally isolated from one another because of technology. And then think about the amazing blessings that you and, have, you and I have. We've been redeemed by the blood of Jesus. We have the Holy Spirit indwelling us. We have the word of God so easily accessible to us so that we might hear from God on a daily basis, that we might grow in our love and knowledge of him. On and on the list of blessings grow, the go. And so can I just encourage you when, you, when you're going, whatever you're going through, also be a thankful person. Look for the ways that God is working because he is and he's blessed you with so much. And then there's looking ahead. Naomi now had the opportunity that she was at, that she is at, now has opportunity that she's home. As we get into the next chapter, we will see the incredible plan of God unfold. You and I, have an incredible future, no matter what the Lord brings our way. For starters, we have eternity to look forward to. One day, you and I will be in the presence of God Almighty. And there will be no more sin. There'll be no more pain. There'll be no more disease. There'll be no more crying. It's going to be an incredible place. There'll only be goodness. No more of the trials that we're facing today. And when we've been there for 10,000 years, just like the hymn says, when we've been there for 10,000 years, we're just getting started. Like that's an incredible future that you and I have. No matter how much sorrow and pain that we have in this life, that's for sure facing us. But I want to encourage you today as well, that God, even in this life, God is gracious and that he's merciful and that he is a good father. Lamentations 3, 31 to 33. Listen to the, what it says here. For the Lord will not cast off forever, 
but though he, he caused grief, he will have compassion according to the abundance of his steadfast love. For he does not afflict from his heart or grieve the children of men. I did a podcast on Friday and I quoted these verses. They're such a great reminder that God is good. Though God may cause grief in your life, he will also have compassion according to the abundance of his steadfast love. The abundance of his steadfast love. Not just a little, but according to the abundance of his steadfast love, he will show compassion to you, though he may cause grief. In the last verse there, where it says that he does not afflict from his heart or grieve, grieve the children of men, it means this, God does not love to afflict or bring grief. Think of it this way. Moms and dads, do you like having to discipline your children? Now, if you do, you, there might be something wrong with you, okay? But, but we don't, like we don't, right? We, we don't like having to bring the discipline to our children, but we do it. Why? Because we love them. Because we know that if we don't bring correction to their life, their life isn't going to go well. They're going to have all kinds of problems and issues. Now consider that in regards to this verse. God doesn't take joy in bringing discipline to you and I, but he does it. Why? Because he loves us and because he's doing a work that if you and I could just get our hearts and minds around, we would give him much praise and, and rejoice in all that he's doing. What does the sovereign Lord call us to do in times of sorrow? He calls us to come home. He calls us to come and lament. He calls us to come and see. And he calls us to come with expectation. Life can be a whole lot like a tapestry. You guys know what a tapestry is? On the other underside of it, it's all messy. But on the other side, it's beautiful. A tapestry is done by weaving together different colors of threads. And when done, by someone who knows what they're doing, an incredible image and design is made for everyone else to see. If you looked at it from the one side, you just see this mass of threads and you wonder like, how does that even make sense? But then you turn it over and there's this like amazing, beautiful picture. That's what life can be like. You and I sometimes all we see is the mess, but God is making something beautiful. Corey Ten Boom wrote the following poem. She says this, My life is but a weaving. Between my God and me, I cannot choose the colors. He weaveth steadily. Oft times he weaveth sorrow, and I in foolish pride forget he sees the upper, and I see the underside. Not till the loom is silent and the shuttles cease to fly will God unroll the canvas and reveal the reason why. The dark threads are as needful in the weaver's skillful hand as the threads of gold and silver in the pattern he has planned. He knows. He loves. He cares. Nothing this truth can dim. He gives the very best to those who leave the choice to him. Let's pray. Lord God, we do thank you that you are a good, good father.
And that, Lord, you are always with your children. And that, Lord, as we go through times of trial, as we go through times of sorrow and disappointment, you call us to come. You call us to, to come home. And Lord, I think of even this morning, if there's some who have been walking in unrepentance, God, would you bring them home today? May they be reconciled fully to you through Jesus Christ. God, we're, we're asking that even today, Lord, if there are those who are walking in rebellion, that God, you would bring them home. And then, Lord, you not only call us to come home, but Lord, you call us to come and just to bring our sorrows and our complaints to you. Thank you, God, that you're a God who cares, that you know the, the pain that we're suffering, the, the, the sorrows that we're enduring. And you, God, you're, you're saying, bring them to me. I care. I want to hear it. And then, Lord, we are so thankful, Lord, that we can bring our request to you knowing that you're a God who cares for us and knowing that you're a God who is able to answer any prayer that we would bring to you. And then, Lord, we're so thankful that we can come with expectation, knowing your character, knowing who you are, that, Lord, you are a God of love and faithfulness and mercy and goodness and a God who is, is powerful, a God who is, 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 who is is working all things out for your children. And um, Lord, we we fully admit sometimes we don't understand and we don't respond in the way that we ought to. And God, would you forgive us for that? God, would you help us to walk in submission to you? Would you help us to remember that you are a good, good father and that Lord, as we go through these days, Lord, you're going to do some great and amazing things. Just like you do in this, in this story of Ruth. You're going to do some great and amazing things, Lord, that we will look back on someday and say, God, what an amazing plan. We couldn't see it, but you did. And all the praise and all the glory goes to you. In your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this sermon from Redemption Church, Calgary North. For more information about our church, visit redemptioncalgarynorth.com.